Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the Two Scene Podcast, a podcast for two journalists and sometimes three sit down and talk baseball. I'm your host, Tyler Foy, and with me today, I have Colin Kapoor and Camilo Fonseca. Uh, guys, thank you so much for putting in the effort last episode. I know I couldn't be around, uh, but you guys did a great job, and it's been a bit since that episode. Um, so we took a little bit of a break. I kind of needed a break. I was starting to not feel the enjoyment as much, but we allowed so many storylines to build as well as we have hit a pivotal point in the season as we transition towards the last week of August. Not that many games left. How do you guys think it's going to play out? How excited are you guys? Uh, well, thanks for having us here, Tyler. I mean, you said it best. It's crunch time now. You know, we're a week out from December or from September. No, um, <laughs> not from December. It's Christmas um, already? God. Well, for a lot of teams, it's going to be feeling like Christmas. And for a, a bunch of other teams, um, I, I don't think they're they're feeling um, that sort of Christmas joy that, that maybe, you know, a team like the Rangers or the Orioles are especially feeling right now. I think one team in particular comes to mind as not having as much joy as others, but we, we can into that later. Yeah, we can get into that later uh, with Tyler Camilo. Great to be back. I think, dare I say, Camilo and I may have had a top three episode in the two scene podcast. I think Pantheon, so. In our, yeah. in our last installment, you know, we did mention that Tyler wasn't there. That could be why it may not be why, you know, I'll leave that up to interpretation, <laughs> but regardless, uh, it is good to be back. Tyler, great to be talking to you and Camilo again. And yeah, you guys said it like, it's crazy that we're already at the end of August for more reasons than one, like the end of summer. And we only have like a month in a month and change a month and a week, uh, something like that left in the MLB season. Um, so these teams, like you said, Camille, they're hitting their crunch time. And some of these teams, when they're hitting their crunch time, they're falling apart and they're doing it rather spectacularly. Uh, and in some cases rather devastating um, in their, in their, uh, in the way that they're falling apart. So there's a lot to get to. So let's just get into it. Absolutely. Um, and I think I think it's great to actually start with the the Texas Rangers, um, as you mentioned, because talk about a team that is not being able to find it during crunch time, losing six games in a row and heavily diminishing their any advantage that they've had in this uh, American League West. Uh, it, it's it's not looking great for them uh, in terms of just how strong and how um, how much momentum some of the other teams in this division are gaining on the Texas Rangers, um, especially for a team that, you know, many people felt maybe were out, you know, overperforming, but also, you know, surprising a lot of people and they go out and they get Scherzer, right? And and they think that that's the final piece uh, that they need and it's not showing itself. And, you know, it's still, you know, losing six in a row is not great, but, you know, a six game slide, um, even though important, you know, they could go on and win the next six, but it's, it's not great signs over there and can't be great for morale. Well, I tell you what, Tyler, the one thing that the Texas Rangers can be a little um, upbeat about is that their closest competition, the Houston Astros, has also not had a particularly great last 10 games. You know, this past weekend, they just got swept by the Mariners. Suddenly the Mariners are in this AL West uh, title push. Um, you know, this is this could have been the moment for the Astros to really take that division crown that they've been chasing, you know, on the heels of of this upstart Texas team all season. And the moment that the Rangers falter, the Astros also start to falter, and suddenly there's a new team in the mix. So yeah, the AL West has just gotten insanely like even more interesting than it was two weeks ago. It, it I right now I think maybe it's the most interesting division in baseball. Yeah, and, and I think we thought it was the most interesting division even when it was just a two-team race, and now it's a immediately somehow been kind of shunted into a three-team race here with the Rangers' struggles, like you said. They're starting four against the Twins, and both the uh, Astros and the Mariners did lose uh, in this past night against the um, against the Red Sox uh, for the Astros, and I think Tyler may want to get into some Red Sox a little bit later. Um, maybe not, uh, but yeah, I, I think this uh, this this AL West that we thought was going to be a dogfight between these two uh, heavy hitters uh, who both made huge splashes at the trade deadline. You think of Scherzer and Verlander uh, for both teams, and then somehow these upstart Mariners are finding themselves back 
after I think I think they were kind of written off at the to, to at least win this division. I think you know wild card race. You can say what you want to say. I think they were always kind of contenders there. But when it comes down to it, you want to win. The, you want to be at the top of the division. You don't want to be mired in a wild card series. So obviously the Mariners are playing their best baseball at the right time, and they're somehow doing it uh, with a pitching staff that doesn't really measure that doesn't really measure up. Uh, to the to the other teams in this division, so I think it's it's a great storyline uh, for the Mariners to be playing this to be playing this well at this time. Yeah, especially because you know you look at the Mariners; they're a team that kind of soft sold at the deadline. You know, they they I think if you talk to a, a Mariners fan um, a couple weeks ago, some of them might have been saying that they were out, that they were done, and then they go on this eight game winning streak, uh, and suddenly they're right back in the mix. I, I think. In, in terms of all the AL West teams, people have the most optimism right now in Seattle, even though they're in that third place spot right now. Yeah, you know, and I like how you mentioned, you know, obviously the deadline um, and the eight game win streak. It's actually the second eight game win streak just in August. Uh, so that's <laughs> massive to their success, um, as well as I believe. They were like 38 and 42 at 1.4 games below 500. And here they stand 71 and 56 at the time of recording this episode. Uh, They will be going and playing against Kansas City tonight. And to help us with the discussion with the Seattle Mariners, joining us um, for the podcast is Henry Neiman, a great friend of the podcast, uh, a big supporter of uh, our tweets, my tweets. Um, (laughs) Definitely appreciate you giving a like every once in a while. Hey, Henry, how, how are you doing? And um, how exciting are those Seattle Mariners at the moment? I'm doing well, Tyler. Thanks for having me back on. It's been a while. I was, I was on your last like last postseason, so it's good to be back on the podcast. And <laughs> let me tell you about the Seattle Mariners. Oh, boy. Um, Are we good? Are we bad? At the moment, we're good. And... It's sort of a terrifying situation where we seem to only be able to lose when it's just a horrifying, horrifying loss. But besides that, we kind of keep winning games. And I would love it if this keeps happening. I did not see us in a playoff spot in August. I thought if we had a shot, it would be a scrappy fight to the finish, sort of like where Boston is. But uh, all of a sudden, I blink and we're in wildcard three. So uh, this is not something that I expected. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at the close to the halfway point, I mean, there was multiple points where the season where the Mariners had a losing record, um, and I'm sure that was dreadful. But in August, you know, alone, they've had two eight-game win streaks. They have put together a great run. What do you think has been kind of uh, the driving force behind uh, this streak that they've been on? Well, it all kind of stems from, and as much as it pains me to say, the Paul Seawald trade. I am I'm the world's biggest fan of Paul Seawald. We, we, we turned him into this ace closer, and I will miss him very, very dearly. I wish him nothing but luck over in Arizona. But uh, I think the thing that no one expected was for Josh Rojas to turn into an absolute juggernaut. He, had, he didn't get hit in like his first four games with us, and since then he's been batting like 350. He, he's hit... Two home runs, which is more than he's hit all year in Arizona. He is seeing the ball well. He's playing good defense. He is it's it's everything that we wanted from Colton Wong that we didn't get from from Colton Wong. And just like that, just having a decent person at at second base has been such a help. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I think what the best part about the Paul Sewall trade um, is it also allows Andres Munoz to really shine in the closing role, you know, because you can, you can give up to wall because, you know, you have other relievers that can fill in those positions. I think Munoz is one of the best or will be one of the best. He's still pretty young relievers in the game in the years to come. I know he has blown a few saves, um, but (laughs) that's my main problem. Obviously Andres Munoz is one of the best young relievers in baseball. And he is so fun to watch, but it's we've always used him as like an either like an eighth inning guy or just a just come in to put out fires. He hasn't really been a closer ever, and it's he's clear he's not really super used to that spot. It's it's a similar problem with Matt Brash. They're both really really good, and they've we've always had them as like our seventh and eighth. 
and they both seem to be not extremely comfortable as a closer, which has led to some extremely scary uh, ninth innings over these past couple weeks. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. So they're very, very good pitchers, and I think they will adjust to that closer role. But as of now, it's a little shaky. It's a little scary. Yeah, I mean, how are you feeling? You know, how confident are you um, as we head into the last week of August and um, the last month of the season? that the Mariners can kind of keep up this volume of wins and, and stay as competitive as they are in the West and in the wild card. I think the, the rest of August is going to be good. We have Kansas City, we have Oakland, we have the Mets of oh, the four Mets. But September is not going to be easy, especially we end the season, Texas, Houston, Texas. That mm-hmm. is going to be horrifying, especially if all three of us are vying for the division at that point. So there's there are some games looming very very large in the future but for now we have a decent schedule if julio can keep doing what he's doing then i think we have a shot at keeping this playoff spot knock on wood (laughs) i think last year you know there were certain stars as well that came into the fray I, i really love the comparisons to last year because i feel like the mariners were very similar uh of a team that wasn't expected to be in the playoffs had an absolute fantastic end of the season to make the postseason, uh, and then absolutely <laughs> destroyed uh, the Blue Jays' every every hope that they had because of some silly historical comeback that they had. And then nothing else happened after that. <laughs> and not, of course, nothing else happened after that. But you know, we don't need to talk about what happened after Toronto. <laughs> what do you make of of how these Mariners in the last two years have performed in late season? Do you, you know, hate, you know, do you dread those first couple months? I mean, they were probably pretty tough, um, but now you're kind of reaping the benefits of actually enjoying the game. I obviously this year and last year, it's they've been sort of excruciating in in May. And there have been points where I've just wanted to just fully stop watching this team for like a couple of weeks. But it must be like a culture thing. This team is just so resilient they like it it i i obviously i'm a little biased as a mariners fan but i do watch other teams and just just like the vibes of the mariners clubhouse just seem so phenomenal all the time and they keep winning and so it keeps working yeah i mean i think this team is also a very streaky team if that makes sense (laughs) for sure Um, and, you know, once again, two eight-game win streaks in this month. Last year, you go back, they had that 14-game win streak in July that kind of set them forward in a in a good motion to closing out the season and having a good rest of the month. Um, it must be something, I would say, probably with the, the clubhouse, um, that once this team gets going and their attitudes are positive and the crowd is getting into it, those, you know, passionate Mariners fans, uh, that things kind of change for this team. Um, and, you know, walk me through some of those, like, players that you think uh, that maybe you've seen reports on that are kind of those leaders in the clubhouse that have kind of helped this team gear up for these runs. I think it's pretty clear that the main change that has helped this team pick it up this year uh, has been J.P. Crawford. He, when Kyle Seeger left at the end of, 2021 it was clear that jp was jp at that point was then the longest tenure oh sorry hanniger was there longer but jp was the guy who everyone looked at to step up to be that new captain that new leader and while last year he sort of unperformed he's currently having the best season of his career and the mariners have not had an official captain in a while and i would be fully willing to give that badge to jp he has been hitting his defense is which I was very, very, very worried about. It had been on kind of a downward trend. He's back to gold glove level. He's been phenomenal. Overall, he's probably been the big, he's taken the biggest step up and he has been just such a huge factor down the stretch in these past few weeks, even though he was out for the last week because he ran into Gino, got a concussion, but now he's back. <laughs> and I can talk for hours about Julio. He just, he has the highest ceiling of, maybe any player in baseball besides like Shohei which oh oh poor Shohei <laughs> poor Shohei that will be dis- definitely discussed later in in this episode poor guy. um but yeah I mean at one point you were probably 
I mean, you probably still have a little bit of animosity towards, you know, the likes of Mike Trout. Oh, for, I, I always will. He's, he's, he's our dad. And um, he's also on the injury list again. For, he's uh, he, back for one day. I know. One singular day before entering the injury list again. And, of course, the news about Otani is extremely unfortunate uh, for the Angels and for baseball. And yeah. for the Mariners' chance at getting Shohei Otani <laughs> to rule that, you know, that team, yeah. you know. Like, obviously the Angels are a division rival, so I like it when they lose, but this sucks. <laughs> Watching Otani and Trap go down on the same day is objectively bad for baseball, and I can put aside my animosity towards the Angels for that. Oof. I mean, could you imagine a rotation of Castillo, Kirby, Gilbert, and Otani, dude. <laughs> I don't want to say nothing, but I mean, our, but I do want to discuss. Our ownership is not going to pay him, <laughs> but <laughs> I do want to discuss. You know that three-headed beast that you guys kind of have there for pitching. Um, I said early on, I thought Castillo could be a dark horse for uh, Cy Young this year. I don't know necessarily if he's shown that, but he's definitely had a very good season. Um, and what have you made from uh, from this pitching staff? You know, you talk so much about these offensive players that have come and shined. Um, are there people that we should know about on the pitching side, and, and what kind of what has been those highlights? Well, everyone talks about our starting rotation because it's one of the best in baseball, which is such a which is just something that I try not to take for, for granted that we have Luis Castillo, George Kirby, and Logan Gilbert clicking on all levels and a like deep run of young pitching prospects in Miller, Wu, and Hancock, which is great because we've had now three pitchers go down for the whole season between Marco Gonzalez, Robbie Ray, and now Emerson Hancock, who's done for the year. So it's this pitching depth has really, really been great because we've needed it. But in the bullpen, we have this knack of taking like 30-year-old pitchers with ERAs of, like, seven and turning them into studs. Like, we had, I think, like, the, a top three bullpen in baseball last year. It's been less than a year. We only have two guys from that bullpen left, and we're still, like, a top 10, top five bullpen. Like, only Andres Munoz and Matt Brash are still on that team from that bullpen, but we've taken guys like J Justin Topa, Gabe Spire, Taylor, Saucedo have all turned into just absolute studs for us. Mm -hmm. Like we picked up Luke Weaver yesterday and he threw two scoreless innings. There's something about that, that Mariners pitching lab that is just such, such a boon to have. Yeah. Right now it's like that team, you know, the Rays, the Giants, uh, Baltimore and Texas are getting better at that as well. Are just organizations, the Dodgers. the Dodgers, organizations that are able to take these players that might be finished, that are looking at uh, a dwindling career, and and find great usage from them. Um, I kind of want to bring us back here to the deadline, uh, the mm -hmm. trade deadline. What did you make of their deadline? What do you think? Do you think they made all the right moves? Do you think they could have done more, less? What What do you make of that? I saw a lot of people, and obviously I hate to speak for Mariners Twitter because we're all insane over there. A lot of people wanted us to do more. I spent the entire dead that, that whole day, that whole final day, glued to my phone, terrified that we were going to trade Ty France, and we didn't. So that's that's my my honestly my main takeaway is thank God we still have Ty France, which he has picked it up recently. People were wanting him gone for reasonable reasons because he was not performing, but now he is, and he's also uh, my best friend and I love Ty France. But I like I legitimately think that we didn't need to do very much, and we didn't. We made like we, we made one move, we bolstered our offense, and we we lost a chunk of bullpen, which was our main strength that we were able to fill it mostly. And honestly, I'm pretty fine with our deadline. We kept all of our main pieces. We made it clear that we're that we still think that we have a good team. And now it's clear that we were right and we do have a good team. Although I do miss Paul. <laughs> Although you do miss Paul, I think he blew like a, a couple of saves when he got down to 
Arizona he did as well. Ha- he had a, a rocky start, but he did recently have two saves against the Rangers, and then he tweeted that he's doing it for us. So uh, he's still a Mariner. Absolutely. I mean, the the two-game sweep against the Rangers. The Rangers uh, have dropped six games in a row to, to add on to <laughs> – those Mariners. Yeah, I didn't think we had a shot at the division. I was just thinking about the wild card, but now we're two games back, a game and a half back of Texas. Yeah, this I mean, is... <laughs> oh man, you're riding the coattails right now, and it, I really do believe it's all going to come down to that last ten game stretch that you mentioned with Texas, Houston, Texas. I'm terrified I mean, of that. Luckily, I mean, you got, I believe, um, seven of those games. Our home games, right? You start the road oh, nice. against the Rangers, and then you get to finish seven straight home games against the Astros. And you recently just swept the Astros. Um, of course, <laughs> every <laughs> you giggle about it. Um, God, I, that that just sounds so good. That never happens, especially in Houston. We haven't swept yeah. the Astros in Houston for like six years. And the Astros are are looking at another loss today. Feels great. It should. It should feel great. Um, but I'm sure it will be extremely nerve-wracking. You know, it will be nerve-wracking that last week. Um, yeah, I know I already asked you, you know, can they keep this up? How can they I... keep this up? But, you know, we're trying to look at a series a month away. We have no context of how yeah. the league will be at that point. So however, much month. however, I mean, you got to feel good about your chances of, of coming away from those 10 games with a winning record oh absolutely yeah like obviously i wish i i we took three or four in kansas city i wish that had gone a little smoother every single one of those games was terrifying but we won three somehow but i i i didn't think we had a chance in hell to take two from houston because they were they're hot but yeah i like if we keep doing this if we keep doing what we're doing and obviously we're not going to perform at this rate because julio set like multiple major league records from like the 50s obviously that's not going to keep happening but all we have to do is keep hitting all you gotta do is keep hitting with the pitching that you guys have the the pitching staff is going to hold it down we just got to keep hitting the ball mariners best whip in baseball they got the second best team era i mean they're definitely out there um strutting their their pitching uh, at a high level but tonight is fireworks night in T-Mobile. So is? hopefully there'll be some fireworks tonight against the Kansas City Royals. As you mentioned, they need to keep on hitting and keep on hitting. They most likely will with the way that they're performing. Henry, Unless Brady Singer throws another six perfect innings against us. <laughs> he could. He's a great pitcher. But Henry, thank you for joining us. Um, you know, I think yeah. it's always for having me. to have uh, a Seattle Mariners perspective and perspectives yeah. from other fans in baseball. Um, before, you know, I let you, you know, get on with life. I want to know, is there anything that I didn't ask about or, um, any topics that you just want to blurt out that you want to just anything you, anything outrageous you want to say of a, of a prediction? Give George Kirby the Cy Young. That is, that is a bit outrageous. You lived up to it. (laughs) Henry, where can people find you? Um, and is there anything you'd like to promote? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Henry underscore Neiman. Um, I don't, I don't really have a lot going for me right now. So there's not really anything active to promote support, support your local Seattle Mariners fan, hold them dear as they they're going to need it through the, this next month. And, uh, good luck to Boston. Tell, tell Camilo good luck to Tampa and see you in the playoffs see you in a in the playoffs just like the seattle mariners <laughs> will most likely oh, be man. there if you want to know more about if you want to watch you know definitely follow along uh follow henry um he's gonna be able to give you his live reactions he tweets quite often about that and rocket league if you guys are into rocket league <laughs> um but yeah once again thank you so much and well, let's get back into the episode well, that was a great interview with with Henry, and you know it's always great to have different voices on the podcast to give different perspectives here. Um, one of the things that we really touched on uh, was just the similarities to last season and how the Mariners kind of went on this crazy run at the end 
uh, to push themselves into a playoff position. They took out the Blue Jays and they made a, a deeper run than anybody had thought they were going to do to obviously break that playoff spell. Um, this year, trying to do something similar with uh, a little bit more experience on the team. Um, and it's definitely exciting to watch. I don't know what you guys have to say about their run at the moment and, and those similarities. Yeah, I think the big thing about the differences is, or the similarities, I should say, is that they're doing this. Uh, but like you guys said before, they didn't really go all in at this trade deadline or at all, uh, as opposed to last year when they went out and acquired Luis Castillo. Uh, the gate they shipped out a couple of huge prospects uh, to do that. Um, so I think there is a similarity, but also this is kind of more unexpected because we didn't know that they were gearing up for this kind of push because of that trade deadline kind of measuring stick where they're like, what do they think of themselves? Last year, we knew they thought of themselves as a contender. That's why they made those moves. This year, a little bit of a different story because they didn't really do that much. They had that uh, reliever trade, I, I think. Uh, I can't really think of anything uh, huge off the top of the dome piece here, but I think that the the similarities are very interesting. Um and I think the, the most interesting thing to me is the fact that they're legitimately doing it without having that, you know, legit buy-in um, at the at that trade deadline. And we're about three weeks removed from that now, and they're playing their best baseball. And they, they have already ousted the Blue Jays in the third wild card spot. They're right there on the heels of the Astros, who are right on the heels of the Rangers. So they're actually playing better now than they were at this point last year. And at this point last year, they made a couple of big moves. So it's it they're playing better baseball with kind of a more depleted roster um which i find the most which is the most intriguing part of it for me yeah i mean the the depleted roster is one thing you also have guys on the field like in that lineup that aren't going uh to the extent that we know that they can i mean j-rod you know he's doing fine this season but you know, he's kind of been had these stretches where he's struggling a bit. He's maybe he's kind of finding his footing right now. Nothing compared to the J-Rod of last season. But if he can get some of that, you know, that that rookie magic back in him, um, then this team, you know, is going to be doing even even better than they are right now. That's one thing. The other thing is just in terms of strength of schedule, the Mariners have, you know, one of the best strength of schedules rest of the season September um, in all of baseball you know I think they play the Royals for a good set I think they play I don't know if they already played the A's but they played the A's for a set um, compared to some of the other teams in the league that still have a, some of their best matchups left to play um, you know I think that's that's good news I don't know if I necessarily agree with the, the Mariners having such an easy trip for the rest of the season. I mean, they got three games against the Reds, four games against the, the Rays here. Uh, they'll have a three-game series with the Dodgers. And then to close out their season, and this is important for the American League West, they'll have seven games against the Rangers and three games against the Astros. I mean, that's going to be pivotal for this race. It, it could all really come, you know, be decided in that last week, the last couple of days of the season, just because of those 10 American League West duels. But I... I, I... Yes, those American League West duels are big, but right now the Mariners are, are playing a better brand of baseball than both of those teams. I mean, they just swept the Houston Astros. Um, you've got six games against the Athletics, three games against the Royals, three games against the Mets, three games against the Angels. You know, maybe like a month ago, we would have said that would have been a, a big series for them. But at this point, you know, if you take uh, 75 to 80% of those games, you're feeling pretty happy with yourself going into the postseason if you're the Mariners. And I think the the analytics really agree with you, Camilo, on this one. I mean, strength of schedule metrics wise, um, on 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 all the the websites, Tankathon has has Seattle as in the bottom of the strength of schedule, means they have an easier strength of schedule. And yes, the ten games against the high ranked division opponents is one thing, but six games against the Oakland athletics is another thing, right? And then you got the Royals and, and, and the angels in there as well. So I, I see this one as one of those strength of schedules that kind of evens itself out because of those conference games or those division games, I should say with the top of their division, but also you have games that you have to win and, and Seattle has proven they can win those games and then win games against teams that have a little bit of a better roster than them as well. Well, we mentioned how that angel series might've been looking a lot more competitive uh, last week, and it, it could have so even sad, Tyler. could have could have even been looking a lot more competitive just as of yesterday, with Mike Trout joining the lineup, Shohei Otani on the mound, 
the angels will be crying themselves to sleep as Otani will walk out the door and Mike Trout entering the injured list once again. These cursed franchise, all right, Moreno, and the angels are in the dumps. They are in the dumps. And it's just a rough time for them. I mean, Otani injury is going to have massive implications on not just them, uh, but also, I mean, his value is also maybe tanked. I don't know what you guys have thoughts on that. Um, I don't know what you guys have thoughts on whether or not Otani should play for the rest of the season. Maybe it hasn't been confirmed whether or not he needs surgery or not. But with how these angels are playing, is it really worth putting him out there on the field, uh, risking anything further? What, what are your guys' thoughts on the angels? Um, I don't even know what to to call it at this point because I feel like they just disappoint everybody all the time. But this one's kind of out of their hands. This one reminds me of kind of the internal combustion of a dying star type situation because the star was already <laughs> dying, right? And then it just explodes and you're all and you're like, OK, but but child, you mentioned that angels are crying themselves to sleep. When I saw this news that Otani has torn his UCL, he's not going to pitch again this season. My heart legitimately dropped. And it was the kind of thing I was like, I was expecting this to happen. I just didn't think it would be this serious. I didn't. I, I was expecting Otani to kind of be have some kind of injury and maybe get shut down for the rest of the year. I thought that was kind of what was going to happen. I did not expect a UCL injury, the second major injury in his throwing elbow. He may not pitch to his dominant level ever again. It, that's just a fact because of this injury, because of the way that, you know, the first Tommy John happened back in 2018. He came back and, and, and pitched really well in the past two years. And now you're facing down another one where we don't know if he needs surgery yet. And Tyler, you talked about his value. The value of Otani has always been the unicorn aspect. He can do both. He can be a middle of the order power hitter and be an ace right now. All he is, is a DH, right? And, and DHs have their value. They don't have 400, $500 million value. And it seems like as this injury happened, as Otani's going to this free agency, as we were expecting the biggest AAV, the biggest contract in LB history, as he deserves, it feels like as his UCL also disintegrated, so did hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, that's a horrible way of putting it, but I, I thought it was kind of, you know, clever to turn a phrase like that. So I'm going to stay with it. It was <laughs> like this, this entire, it was the worst possible worst case scenario. And of course we should have expected it because it's the angels, but it just sucks that it happens to Otani of all players. Cause we know this is the guy with the biggest heart in all of baseball, even as he got that news of the UCL tear, at the end of doubleheader game one, he came out and played in doubleheader game two and was joking around with Ellie De La Cruz at second base after hitting a double. You can only imagine what was going through his mind when that happened. So absolutely devastating news, probably the worst news in the baseball world this season. I, I can't think of anything worse than that. Uh, maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but just absolutely devastating when I, when I saw this news. It's it, it just horrible. Well, nobody... Don't let it be said that the two scene podcast doesn't have a flair for the dramatic. Um, that was a, that was a beautiful turn of phrase, Colin. I I mean I agree with you. This is a, a travesty. Um, simply put, the best baseball we may ever see played in our entire lives is over, um, or at least very likely over. Because you know even if he comes back and continues pitching after his Tommy John surgery, um, chances are that he's not going to be the same uh, dominant pitcher that he was. People have said that maybe they could shift him over to a reliever role or a closer role, um, so he could still maintain some of that sort of two-way unicorn stuff. But, you know, it really, really sucks that the season that he's having and the stretch that he's been having has to come to an end like this, especially when you look at where the angels are in the standings in their organization and you know was it worth it um and i don't know i'm not i either way you know you know what he wasn't him going out and pitching tomorrow wouldn't have put the angels in a playoff berth but at the same time it would be giving the world something that has never been seen before and maybe won't ever be seen again so yeah, absolute tragedy. Um, I, I don't think there's any other way that you can cut it. Um, that's not even mentioning, you know, Mike Trout going back on the IL after after he same came back. Same day too. Yeah, the same day. 
Uh, Logan O'Hoppy, who was out for a ton this season, uh, he also just came back recently. So it looked like maybe things were were starting to come together a little bit in Anaheim, and then, you know, something like this happens, and and yeah, it, it's really tough. I I don't know how Angels fans are getting through it right now. It's it's tough. Well, I think the these two players have obviously spent a little too much time with Anthony Rendon. Is is the biggest issue here, uh, because all of that bad luck has obviously. Ooh. You know, worked itself to Trout and Otani. Trout has had a lot of injury issues over the last like three seasons. Um, and for Shohei's, you know, case, you know, he was getting pulled from a couple games, maybe just one other game. Happened prior to that times. start, yeah. It, so there was definitely writing on the wall, you know, that something's wrong. And they kept just saying it was like fatigue, like arm fatigue. And then it kind of blows you, like hits you right in the face, right? I mean, when it's something that uh serious um there's been players that have come back i mean we're seeing a lot of two tommy john situations or at least injuries similar to having two tommy johns with you know jacob the is gonna be having that walker bueller is just returning rasmussen his... had two tommy johns isn't shane you think of you think isn't of grom she... uh drew rasmussen the very similar players you know absolutely nathan avaldi had two uh he's obviously had a great season now of course he had a long time since his second one um but isn't shane sugar shane gonna be getting a second well, this tommy will john? be shane's second tommy john right. yeah so i'm sensing um, a theme with these race pitchers camilo oh, oh colin oh colin don't get me started you will we will do you want to get started on that right now i can absolutely i, can, I have a lot to say on that um Good. yeah so you know staying on the injury train for a little bit um Last week, which was a very, very bad week for the Tampa Bay Rays, um, Shane McClanahan, who, you know, had been since the all-star break, he'd been dealing with a couple back issues and, and you know, some some forearm tightness and stuff like that. So intermittently off the 10 day IL, uh, he gets taken out of a game uh, and it's announced that he will undergo his second Tommy John surgery in his career. And that he will be so Shane McClanahan, the eighth of the Tampa Bay Rays, um, is now not going to pitch in the majors probably until 2025, which is you know that's a massive blow for any team, but a team like the Rays that has already seen massive pitching injuries, uh, like uh, its rotation has taken a huge hit in the middle of a playoff push. That is really bad news. So yeah, I mean I mean that was terrible to hear. Um, Obviously, it's not the first starting pitcher on the race that's been on the IL that's gone on to the 60-day IL this season. We, I mean, we just had Drew Rasmus and Jeffrey Springs. Both of those were having, you know, career seasons um, and then taken out with Tommy John earlier in the season. And then Shane McClanahan, you know, a Cy Young candidate to um, not be able to finish this season for a team in the middle of a playoff push. Uh, it's tough. It's tough. Um, and so I, I I think the bigger question that's coming out of this um, is, do the Rays have, um, you know, they're able to get a lot out of these pitchers, out of these quote-unquote no-name pitchers, these sort of reclamation projects and untouted rookies and everything, and get them to throw their nastiest stuff, but does that have a disproportionate effect on their arms? I have uh, my opinion my my perspective on that but i'm curious is that a concern that you guys have looking as non-raised fans at at this team that's suffered so many injuries lately well the injury bug in tampa is i'm not you know it's, i don't think it's something new it's actually strange how tampa has always kind of at least in recent history has had a lot of issues with injuries um and especially through the season I and mean, it's not just like a one time that it hit you and as you know it'll hit you at all times of the year um which is heavily unfortunate for the organization and has to come into question on what their preparations are what are they is it the certain players that they're attracted to are injury prone perhaps um you know they always love those like i don't know they love those those gems those hidden gems but some of those hidden gems come at a cost um and perhaps injury prone players is not something that they're necessarily worried about 
um, when they're going and selecting uh, these prospects and such. Um, I don't know if it, it's it's necessarily an issue with me. Maybe I want to be hopeful for these these arms that they can figure it out. Um, that Shane McClanahan will will come back from this and and be the same pitcher. Um, and as I mentioned, I mean there is a lot of names that are are pretty notable that are going to be hitting their second massive um, recovery of their careers. So I don't know if necessarily I'm I'm as worried, but maybe I'm also not as you know, cautious or paying attention to it as much as I should be uh, because I'm not that Rays fan. I do think you hit uh, a good point. And that's basically where I'm at, Tyler, is that I don't think that this is, it's um, misguided, I think, to look at this as a byproduct of the way that the Rays develop their pitchers. Um, Because, you know, people will go out and say the Rays prize velocity, the Rays prize spin rates. You know, when you get a pitcher out there and tell him to throw everything he's got, that's going to take more of a toll on his arm. But if you look at, like, the actual velocity and spin rate of the Rays uh, pitching staff, it's not significantly different than other, you know, top-tier pitching staffs in the majors. Um, You know, so uh, Shane, I think, is the only uh, Rays starter in the top 100 um, of pitchers with more than 100 innings pitched, and everybody else is, is kind of towards the median in terms of spin rate. So I, I don't think it, it's that as much as it is what you said. It's the raise, you know, to find these sort of um, hidden gems of pitchers. You're looking at people that have been discounted because of injury history or because of workload, um, and kind of getting them to, you know, you're taking a gamble on them uh, while being conscious of their injury history and the potential for further injuries. And I just think that's part of the Rays philosophy. You know, that's what helps them stay competitive. Uh, so it's not that their actual development is doing anything. It's more that the, the pitchers that they are able to work with, you know, that they're able to find when other teams miss are increasingly injury prone i mean they drafted shane mcclanahan after a tommy john surgery they drafted drew rasmussen after a tommy john surgery um you know part of it is getting these pitchers to perform for a little bit at their very very best and once that injury history rears their head they move on and i'm not saying they'll move on with shane mcclanahan he could come back and be as dominant as he was this season um but if you look at a reclamation project like zach latell that they just they picked him up after he was DFA'd from the Red Sox, for God's sakes, and now he has a, a, a three ERA. Um, you know, turning him into one of their their new starters. It, it's just part of kind of that cycle with the race philosophy. I don't think it's an inherent problem in the way that they develop their pitchers. Because pitchers have come out of that system and said they treat us just like, uh, in terms of the way that they're developed, they're treated just like any other system. So I, I don't really think that's a big issue. I, it sucks to see. And obviously, I'm not very happy about it. But all the people that are like, you have to fire the fire the pitching staff, fire the trainers. You know, I, I don't really think that's the issue. You mentioned how this week has or last week was not a good week for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Camila, we have to talk about this subject. And I know you've you know spoken a lot, but I'm going to ask you to explain this one to our audience here some some (laughs) very um unique situations happened in tampa just last week with wander franco a rising star could you give us a little bit about how this whole thing has unfolded yeah so for those i mean i think most people are aware of the situation by now um essentially what's going on is um you know wander franco the, the first guy that the Rays have really committed to and have said he's the, the face of our franchise, you know, it comes out uh, initially on social media that it's, it is alleged that he was having a relation with a minor in the Dominican Republic. Um, and he went on his Instagram Live, denied it and everything, but the, the, he was placed on the restricted list. And just recently, I believe yesterday, he was... Uh, that restricted list say was extended to administrative leave, which is kind of a more serious position for him to be in. Um, so he's not playing with the Rays. Um, 
He's on the the administrative leave list with MLB, and there are investigations both by the league and by the attorney general's office in the DR looking into this. Um, yeah, it's it's not good. There's it's it's a really really uh, shitty situation to to be in as a fan of the game of the team uh, of the player. Um, you know, obviously for the people involved, this is, this is terrible. Um, the only thing that you can do is, is, you know, hope that it's not true. Um, and at this point, you know, the, the results haven't been released, but based on the sort of information that's out there, it seems that that's getting less and less likely. Um, there, I, I will say there's a lot of stuff floating around on the internet that, you know, I don't want to get into any specifics because I think that a lot of that stuff is is rumors and hearsay. But based on the indications, it is very possible that uh, Wander Franco will never play in the majors again, um, and and almost certainly he will never play on the Tampa Bay Rays again because it, I don't know how much this has been reported, but they've taken down his signs here in Tampa. You know, they they've completely pivoted from this player who was the face of their franchise. Um, I, and I think, I don't know how much news that they've heard from the league offices on this, but you know, it is really, really tough to see a player who had so much talent and so much potential. Um, you know, if this is true, he will have thrown his career away completely. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So definitely very serious things happening over there. And once again, you know, we don't want to delve in, into all that speculation. We just want to give you guys an update on what's going on with it. And I'm sure, well, you know, I'm not as sure because of how kind of the Trevor Bauer case kind of unfolded and how long that kind of took. Um, but we'll be giving you guys updates as as it develops. Um, and staying on the topic of uh, the American League East. Um, actually, wait, before we even go there. I have a great question for you, Camilo. So what are you doing with your Wander Franco jersey? Well, thankfully, I ended up buying a, a Shane McClanahan jersey before these allegations came out. So it is no longer my primary Rays jersey. <laughs> was that also before the injury? It was before the injury. You need to stop buying jerseys like as soon as possible because yeah, something's yeah, wrong Yeah, I know, with it. I know. Well, hey, Shane will pitch again. I, I'm confident in this. but um. Yeah, I don't know if I will ever wear that Wander Franco jersey ever again. Well, Nate Lannon spent two hundred dollars or something on a, a Justin Verlander Mets jersey, and yeah, at least it's not that, it's not that bad, you know. And I, you know, I will say I will say this: that if you told anybody at the beginning of the season that Drew Rasmussen, first of all, that you know three of your top five starters were going to be out with Tommy John. If you told me that Wander Franco was going to be on administrative leave and never play on, potentially never play on a major league field ever again, I would tell you that the Tampa Bay Rays were cooked, that they were done. Um, in reality, this team is is two games out of the division lead. Um, you know, it has the second best record in the American League. Um, so all things considered, I do think the Rays are in a good spot, all things considered. Obviously, it would have been better if you had those guys that were on the IL, if you had a player that, you know, wasn't the investigation of of uh, the attor an attorney general's office thing in the Dominican Republic. But I think as far as the Rays go, there shouldn't be too much taken out of this um, from an organizational standpoint. Right. And um, you mentioned the Orioles or you mentioned the two game gap Orioles still on top of that division. Um, as you've mentioned in the past, they just don't lose. Right. Um, so they, don't lose. they <laughs> um, they've held strong on top of there. And, you know, their owner has pissed off a lot of their fans because of the whole um, situation with their broadcaster, as well as the situation they had where, it was mentioned that to keep their young core, they would have to increase ticket prices drastically, which is a weird thing to say because like 
I think we're pretty far away from most of those young core members ever, you know, not even, you know, hitting free agency, um, you know, very young players. So I, I, I don't know. We even know why he would bring that up. Um, but owners are no strangers to, um, to making their fans angry. And some fans are angrier than others. You look at the athletics and how they want the team to be sold and the team might be moving out, but the Chicago White Sox might be having a very similar situation with their owner looking to maybe move, looking to sell the team, not so sure what's going to happen. There's a lot of rumors being thrown out there, um, but it makes me feel really good about my White Sox rant to begin the season. Uh, it makes me feel justified as I really hit them I hit them pretty hard at the start of the season um, with about how disappointed I was in their failures uh, and how much I've bet on them in previous seasons. So, you know, they're not looking too great guys. Uh, Yeah. I mean, the white Sox are in a, a not great place. You know, they just fired uh, their executive VP of baseball ops, their general manager who they both had in these positions since 2012, some of them, I, I think Kenny Williams has been around uh, for like 10 uh, or for 20 years. So yeah, massive shakeup in uh, Chicago on the South side and frankly, good, you know, cause this team was, was a mess completely organizationally top to bottom. Colin and I talked about it, you know, the, the extent to which there's just been a failure on all levels in this organization, you know, they you have to bring in someone who knows what they're doing um because this is a team that has three playoff bursts since 2005 this is a team that has two winning seasons since 2012 uh something has got to change and you cannot promote from inside the organization i don't think you need a fresh voice you need somebody that's going to shake things up you cannot rely on tony larusa as a special advisor which seems to be what they're doing um that's not encouraging to me at all. But if they get somebody like a James Click, um, for example, to work that front office, there are a lot of things that need to be addressed and answered in this offseason. Uh, because this team, the way that it's going, it cannot continue. Yes, Camilo, I 100% agree. And we did touch on this. And this is kind of the boiling over of all of these things, the organizational culture. And Evil Jimenez did not pull any punches when he was asked about this um, after all these firings happened. And I think, Camila, you you said it. Tony La Russa being brought in after all of this is happening is kind of the most comical part of all of it. Because he kind of led the charge in this insufficient, inorganized clubhouse when, you know. Uh, exactly. And we talked when we talked about how La Russa started where players didn't come into meetings and, you know, players were able to do whatever they wanted to do when La Russa wasn't running a tight ship. And then we talked about the Anderson fight and, and the subsequent X's or tweets or whatever you want to call them. Um, this, this is just what happens. And, and I said this last time, this is what happens when a team knows they're not going to contend at the start of, at the start of May, when they're already down, uh, you know, that they've lost 20 something games in the first 30 or whatever it was uh, for these White Sox. So, it's all the boiling over of what we knew what was going to happen. I don't think I knew. I don't think I thought it was going to happen this quickly or during the season. I think that's probably the most surprising part of it all, but it had to happen at some point. So I guess happening now is as good as any other time. At least it shows that the, whoever, whoever making, whoever's making the calls knows that there needed to be a change. Yeah, absolutely. And you brought up Elo Jimenez, how he, he sort of touched on that. There hasn't been this sort of uh, any, addressing of this situation you know i i think the quote that he said was he had a very terse response um when asked if any of these conversations had been had and he just said not really um which is is kind of a something that we're going to be seeing on twitter for a long time um Elo jimenez i think that's one of the big question marks that this organization has you know are you really going to pay him 14 million dollars next year to be a black hole in the lineup, not a leader in the clubhouse. Um, and then you have $40 million in club options next year. Like I, if you're the the next GM, I think a big question you have to ask is how many of these guys can you ship off and what can you get for them? Cause you look at this farm system right now, ranked 20th in the majors. That's not going to get it done. I don't, I don't understand how a far, how a team that has been rebuilding 
for the better part of 15 years has a farm system ranked 20th in the majors. Um, you know, like I said, a lot of stuff needs to change and they're not going to have their work cut out for them. And, you know, at, at points of, of that rebuild, they had some of the top systems, some of the top prospects in baseball. And you got to wonder what went wrong in, in those cases. And maybe it was the clubhouse. Um, you know, Ozzy Guillen was, was holding, wasn't holding back either when he was talking about how the players are the ones that are to blame for the firings of these executives, um, which I'm not necessarily, I think I am half and half on that. You know, I think it's as much as one side as the other side. Um, and there has to be accountability on both sides. Um, but, you know, he was going on about how, you know, these players are, are blaming front office, but, well, you know, if they don't perform on the field, then the front office gets booted because those guys are the scapegoats. Tim Anderson did, uh, after those comments, did say that, you know, they weren't playing up to par and they do have some responsibility for that. Um, interesting situation over there. Tony LaRusso, we mentioned, coming back into the pictures. Interesting. Have you guys seen how much he's aged? It's like when Bilbo yeah, he's got not dying the, his hair anymore. It's like when Bilbo got the <laughs> ring stole, you know, taken from him and you cut yeah. back to him in Rivendell and he's like super old in Lord of the Rings. It's 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 not a great look, but um you know, he's pulling it off. He's pulling it off. Well, the, that's generous of you to say. <laughs> the White Sox though are not pulling off any looks. And we're going to have to see how it plays out and and whether or not they move to Nashville, guys. I don't know why that's like the number one rumored spot. I don't think so, man. I, I, I think, I don't know if I've heard the rumors that Jerry Ryan is going to sell the team. Uh, I don't know how you could set it's in terms of value, you know, it's lower than it's ever been. I don't know why you'd sell now, you know, at least get a couple years into a rebuild and then sell, but he'd be getting peanuts at this, but comparatively peanuts. Um, you know, the, the only question that I have really, and I guess I'm curious what y'all's uh, takes on this are, when does uh, Pedro Griffol get the boot? Because you get, you cleaned house in the front office, but are you going to really leave the same manager in there next year to, to shepherd the same group of guys in after what's happened this year? No, I, I don't think so. I think it's a, a bit of an, an off season type deal though. I mean, you just can't, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I guess if you're cleaning house within the last month, I guess you could justify. I mean, it's just not getting like they're playing for anything right now. But I don't know. I don't. It, I feel like you focus on plugging one hole at a time. Right now, they're probably hosting a lot of interviews and, you know, looking at their options for general manager, president of baseball operations, and and what they can do there. I don't know if they really want to spread their resources a bit with with how they're you know planning it all to be and. Um, or maybe they do fire him and they do like, you know, double interviews. They want a GM and a manager that's on the same page. That could also be very important. Um, I, I don't know if I know enough about the hiring process in the MLB to to answer that. Neither do I. Yeah, it's not necessarily my area of expertise here. I agree with what you guys have said because it is very smart and correct. <laughs> so we, are, we, try. <laughs> we are famously smart and correct on this podcast we try our best to be smart and correct on this podcast often though i feel that we are are not always correct and we'll see with our predictions how they unfold over this last month of baseball next episode we will definitely come back and discuss a little bit more about how we actually believe each division will end who will be on top who will have those playoff spots earned um but for now this will be the end of the two scene podcast um, I have been your host, Tyler Foy. You can find me on uh, on X at Tyler underscore underscore Foy, this podcast. If you guys want to stay up to date, uh, you can follow it on Spotify or you can follow our social medias uh, at the two scene pod. And for my two wonderful co-hosts. Well, Tyler, Camilo, everyone listening here on the two scene podcast, you can find me at Colin Kapoor on X. You can find me at Colin Kapoor on Instagram. I just got a TikTok. I'm an influencer. Find me over there at, I think wow. it's just Colin Kapoor. Uh, so yeah, all of the social medias, I'm there. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to engage, debate all of these things. One thing I got to add, the Washington Nationals, the best team of all time. Uh, that's all I got. Thank you guys uh, for the podcast. It was a good time. 
I have to, I'm going to have to check that score as soon as we're done recording. Um, yeah, you can find me at Fonseca underscore ESQ at Twitter. No, at X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, uh, and I do not have a TikTok that I'm publicly sharing, but I will check out Collins. Um, I, you know, there is a Camilo TikTok out there. I'm just going to put, I'm just going to say it. Yeah, gonna I'm not going to, we're not going to share, but um, if you get lucky, you know. Um, yeah, just don't send me, don't send me Wander Franco memes, um, on Twitter. Send me, I don't know. What, what am I thinking? What's funny today? Any good Nats memes, Colin? Um, CJ Abrams just had a massive pimp job Homer and Davey Martinez, like talk to him for like two minutes about it before we <laughs> let him celebrate. Um, so that's my manager for the next two years, guys. Yay. <laughs> so many more ejections to come, I'm sure. Please, yeah, all, all your ejections, send them to me. Hey, Kevin Cash should have been ejected yesterday with, we didn't even talk about how the Rays almost got robbed last night uh, on that uh, Rockies uh, non-overturned call. But I digress. I digress. Well, we will be ejecting ourselves from this episode. So nice. thank you guys for listening, and we hope to bring you guys some more playoff push coverage in the next one.